Chapters six and seven of the story of my misfortunes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Giessen. The story of my misfortunes by Peter Abelard. Translated by Henry Adams Bellows. Chapter six now there dwelt in that same city of paris a certain young girl named eloise the niece of a canon who was called fulbert her uncle's love for her was equalled only by his desire that she should have the best education which he could possibly procure for her of no mean beauty she stood out above all by reason of her abundant knowledge of letters. Now this virtue is rare among women, and for that very reason it doubly graced the maiden, and made her the most worthy of renown in the entire kingdom. It was this young girl whom I, after carefully considering all those qualities which are wont to attract lovers, determined to unite with myself in the bonds of love and indeed the thing seemed to me very easy to be done so distinguished was my name and i possessed such advantages of youth and comeliness that no matter what woman i might favour with my love i dreaded rejection of none then too i believed that i could win the maiden's consent all the more easily by reason of her knowledge of letters and her zeal therefore so even if we were parted we might yet be together in thought with the aid of written messages perchance too we might be able to write more boldly than we could speak and thus at all times could we live in joyous intimacy thus utterly aflame with my passion for this maiden i sought to discover means whereby i might have daily and familiar speech with her thereby the more easily to win her consent for this purpose i persuaded the girl's uncle with the aid of some of his friends to take me into his household for he dwelt hard by my school in return for the payment of a small sum my pretext for this was that the care of my own household was a serious handicap to my studies and likewise burdened me with an expense far greater than i could afford now he was a man keen in avarice and likewise he was most desirous for his niece that her study of letters should ever go forward so for these two reasons I easily won his consent to the fulfilment of my wish, for he was fairly agape for my money, and at the same time believed that his niece would vastly benefit by my teaching. More even than this, by his own earnest entreaties, he fell in with my desires beyond anything I had dared to hope, opening the way for my love for he entrusted her wholly to my guidance, begging me to give her instruction whensoever I might be free from the duties of my school, no matter whether by day or by night, and to punish her sternly if ever I should find her negligent of her tasks. In all this, 
the man's simplicity was nothing short of astounding to me i should not have been more smitten with wonder if he had entrusted a tender lamb to the care of a ravenous wolf when he had thus given her into my charge not alone to be taught but even to be disciplined what had he done save to give free scope to my desires and to offer me every opportunity even if i had not sought it to bend her to my will with threats and blows if i failed to do so with caresses there were however two things which particularly served to allay any foul suspicion his own love for his niece and my former reputation for continence why should i say more we were united first in the dwelling that sheltered our love and then in the hearts that burned with it under the pretext of study we spent our hours in the happiness of love and learning held out to us the secret opportunities that our passion craved our speech was more of love than of the book which lay open before us our kisses far outnumbered our reasoned words our hands sought less the book than each other's bosoms love drew our eyes together far more than the lesson drew them to the pages of our text in order that there might be no suspicion there were indeed sometimes blows but love gave them not anger they were the marks not of wrath but of a tenderness surpassing the most fragrant balm in sweetness what followed no degree in love's progress was left untried by our passion and if love itself could imagine any wonder as yet unknown we discovered it and our inexperience of such delights made us all the more ardent in our pursuit of them so that our thirst for one another was still unquenched in measure as this passionate rapture absorbed me more and more i devoted ever less time to philosophy than to the work of the school indeed it became loathsome to me to go to the school or to linger there the labour moreover was very burdensome since my nights were vigils of love and my days of study my lecturing became utterly careless and lukewarm i did nothing because of inspiration but everything merely as a matter of habit i had become nothing more than a reciter of my former discoveries and though i still wrote poems they dealt with love not with the secrets of philosophy of these songs you yourself well know how some have become widely known and have been sung in many lands chiefly methinks by those who delighted in the things of this world as for the sorrow the groans the lamentations of my students when they perceived the preoccupation nay rather the chaos of my mind it is hard even to imagine them a thing so manifest could deceive only a few no one methinks save him whose shame it chiefly bespoke the girl's uncle fulbert 
the truth was often enough hinted to him and by many persons but he could not believe it partly as i have said by reason of his boundless love for his niece and partly because of the well-known continence of my previous life indeed we do not easily suspect shame in those whom we most cherish nor can there be the blot of foul suspicion on devoted love of this saint jerome in his epistle to sabinianus epistolae forty eight says we are wont to be the last to know the evils of our own households and to be ignorant of the sins of our children and our wives though our neighbours sing them aloud but no matter how slow a matter may be in disclosing itself it is sure to come forth at last nor is it easy to hide from one what is known to all so after the lapse of several months did it happen with us oh how great was the uncle's grief when he learned the truth and how bitter was the sorrow of the lovers when we were forced to part with what shame was i overwhelmed with what contrition smitten because of the blow which had fallen on her i loved and what a tempest of misery burst over her by reason of my disgrace each grieved most not for himself but for the other each sought to allay not his own sufferings but those of the one he loved the very sundering of our bodies served but to link our souls closer together the plenitude of the love which was denied to us inflamed us more than ever once the first wildness of shame had passed it left us more shameless than before and as shame died within us the cause of it seemed to us ever more desirable and so it chanced with us as in the stories that the poets tell it once happened with mars and venus when they were caught together it was not long after this that eloise found that she was pregnant and of this she wrote to me in the utmost exultation at the same time asking me to consider what had best be done accordingly on a night when her uncle was absent we carried out the plan we had determined on and i stole her secretly away from her uncle's house sending her without delay to my own country she remained there with my sister until she gave birth to a son whom she named astrolabe meanwhile her uncle after his return was almost mad with grief only one who had then seen him could rightly guess the burning agony of his sorrow and the bitterness of his shame what steps to take against me or what snares to set for me he did not know if he should kill me or do me some bodily hurt he feared greatly lest his dear-loved niece should be made to suffer for it among my kinsfolk he had no power to seize me and imprison me somewhere against my will though i make no doubt he would have done so quickly enough had he been able or dared for i had taken measures to guard against any such attempt 
at length however in pity for his boundless grief and bitterly blaming myself for the suffering which my love had brought upon him through the baseness of the deception i had practised i went to him to entreat his forgiveness promising to make any amends that he himself might decree i pointed out that what had happened could not seem incredible to any one who had ever felt the power of love or who remembered how from the very beginning of the human race women had cast down even the noblest men to utter ruin and in order to make amends even beyond his extremest hope i offered to marry her whom i had seduced provided only the thing could be kept secret so that i might suffer no loss of reputation thereby to this he gladly assented pledging his own faith and that of his kindred and sealing with kisses the pact which i had sought of him and all this that he might the more easily betray me chapter seven forthwith i repaired to my own country and brought back thence my mistress that i might make her my wife she however most violently disapproved of this and for two chief reasons the danger thereof and the disgrace which it would bring upon me she swore that her uncle would never be appeased by such satisfaction as this as indeed afterwards proved only too true she asked how she could ever glory in me if she should make me thus inglorious and should shame herself along with me what penalties she said would the world rightly demand of her if she should rob it of so shining a light what curses would follow such a loss to the church what tears among the philosophers would result from such a marriage how unfitting how lamentable it would be for me whom nature had made for the whole world to devote myself to one woman solely and to subject myself to such humiliation she vehemently rejected this marriage which she felt would be in every way ignominious and burdensome to me besides dwelling thus on the disgrace to me she reminded me of the hardships of married life to the avoidance of which the apostle exhorts us saying art thou loosed from a wife seek not a wife but and if thou marry thou hast not sinned and if a virgin marry she hath not sinned nevertheless such shall have trouble in the flesh but i spare you one corinthians chapter seven verse twenty seven and again but i would have you to be free from cares one corinthians seven thirty two but if i would heed neither the counsel of the apostle nor the exhortations of the saints regarding this heavy yoke of matrimony she bade me at least consider the advice of the philosophers and weigh carefully what had been written on this subject either by them or concerning their lives 
even the saints themselves have often and earnestly spoken on this subject for the purpose of warning us thus saint jerome in his first book against jovinianus makes theophrastus set forth in great detail the intolerable annoyances and the endless disturbances of married life demonstrating with the most convincing arguments that no wise man should ever have a wife and concluding his reasons for this philosophic exhortation with these words who among christians would not be overwhelmed by such arguments as these advanced by theophrastus again in the same work saint jerome tells how cicero asked by Ircius after his divorce of terentia whether he would marry the sister of Ircius, replied that he would do no such thing saying that he could not devote himself to a wife and to philosophy at the same time cicero does not indeed precisely speak of devoting himself but he does add that he did not wish to undertake anything which might rival his study of philosophy in its demands upon him then turning from the consideration of such hindrances to the study of philosophy eloise bade me observe what were the conditions of honourable wedlock what possible concord could there be between scholars and domestics between authors and cradles between books or tablets and distaffs between the stylus or the pen and the spindle what man intent on his religious or philosophical meditations can possibly endure the whining of children the lullabies of the nurse seeking to quiet them or the noisy confusion of family life who can endure the continual untidiness of children the rich you may reply can do this because they have palaces or houses containing many rooms and because their wealth takes no thought of expense and protects them from daily worries but to this the answer is that the condition of philosophers is by no means that of the wealthy nor can those whose minds are occupied with riches and worldly cares find time for religious or philosophical study for this reason the renowned philosophers of old utterly despised the world fleeing from its perils rather than reluctantly giving them up and denied themselves all its delights in order that they might repose in the embraces of philosophy alone one of them and the greatest of all seneca in his advice to lucilius says philosophy is not a thing to be studied only in hours of leisure we must give up everything else to devote ourselves to it for no amount of time is really sufficient thereto epistolae seventy three it matters little she pointed out whether one abandons the study of philosophy completely or merely interrupts it for it can never remain at the point where it was thus interrupted all other occupations must be resisted it is vain to seek to adjust life to include them 
and they must simply be eliminated this view is maintained for example in the love of god by those among us who are truly called monastics and in the love of wisdom by all those who have stood out among men as sincere philosophers for in every race gentiles or jews or christians there have always been a few who excelled their fellows in faith or in the purity of their lives and who were set apart from the multitude by their continence or by their abstinence from worldly pleasures among the jews of old there were the nazarites who consecrated themselves to the lord some of them the sons of the prophet elias and others the followers of eliseus the monks of whom on the authority of saint jerome epistolae four and thirteen we read in the old testament more recently there were the three philosophical sects which josephus defines in his book of antiquities eighteen two calling them the pharisees the sadducees and the essenes in our times furthermore there are the monks who imitate either the communal life of the apostles or the earlier and solitary life of john among the gentiles there are as has been said the philosophers did they not apply the name of wisdom or philosophy as much to the religion of life as to the pursuit of learning as we find from the origin of the word itself and likewise from the testimony of the saints there is a passage on this subject in the eighth book of st augustine's city of god wherein he distinguishes between the various schools of philosophy the italian school he says had as its founder pythagoras of samos who it is said originated the very word philosophy before his time those who were regarded as conspicuous for the praiseworthiness of their lives were called wise men but he on being asked of his profession replied that he was a philosopher that is to say a student or a lover of wisdom because it seemed to him unduly boastful to call himself a wise man in this passage therefore when the phrase conspicuous for the praiseworthiness of their lives is used it is evident that the wise in other words the philosophers were so called less because of their erudition than by reason of their virtuous lives in what sobriety and continence these men lived it is not for me to prove by illustration lest i should seem to instruct minerva herself now she added if laymen and gentiles bound by no profession of religion lived after this fashion what ought you a cleric and a canon to do in order not to prefer base voluptuousness to your sacred duties to prevent this charybdis from sucking you down headlong and to save yourself from being plunged shamelessly and irrevocably into such filth as this if you care nothing for your privileges as a cleric at least uphold your dignity as a philosopher if you scorn the reverence due to god let regard for your reputation temper your shamelessness 
remember that socrates was chained to a wife and by what a filthy accident he himself paid for this blot on philosophy in order that others thereafter might be made more cautious by his example jerome thus mentions this affair writing about socrates in his first book against jovinianus once when he was withstanding a storm of reproaches which xantippe was hurling at him from an upper story he was suddenly drenched with foul slops wiping his head he said only i knew there would be a shower after all that thunder her final argument was that it would be dangerous for me to take her back to paris and that it would be far sweeter for her to be called my mistress than to be known as my wife nay too that this would be more honourable for me as well in such case she said love alone would hold me to her and the strength of the marriage chain would not constrain us even if we should by chance be parted from time to time the joy of our meetings would be all the sweeter by reason of its rarity but when she found that she could not convince me or dissuade me from my folly by these and like arguments and because she could not bear to offend me with grievous sighs and tears she made an end of her resistance saying then there is no more left but this that in our doom the sorrow yet to come shall be no less than the love we two have already known nor in this as now the whole world knows did she lack the spirit of prophecy so after our little son was born we left him in my sister's care and secretly returned to paris a few days later in the early morning having kept our nocturnal vigil of prayer unknown to all in a certain church we were united there in the benediction of wedlock her uncle and a few friends of his and mine being present we departed forthwith stealthily and by separate ways nor thereafter did we see each other save rarely and in private thus striving our utmost to conceal what we had done but her uncle and those of his household seeking solace for their disgrace began to divulge the story of our marriage and thereby to violate the pledge they had given me on this point eloise on the contrary denounced her own kin and swore that they were speaking the most absolute lies her uncle aroused to fury thereby visited her repeatedly with punishments no sooner had i learned this than i sent her to a convent of nuns at argenteuil not far from paris where she herself had been brought up and educated as a young girl i had them make ready for her all the garments of a nun suitable for the life of a convent excepting only the veil and these i bade her put on when her uncle and his kinsman heard of this 
they were convinced that now i had completely played them false and had rid myself forever of eloise by forcing her to become a nun violently incensed they laid a plot against me and one night while i all unsuspecting was asleep in a secret room in my lodgings they broke in with the help of one of my servants whom they had bribed there they had vengeance on me with a most cruel and most shameful punishment such as astounded the whole world for they cut off those parts of my body with which i had done that which was the cause of their sorrow this done straightway they fled but two of them were captured and suffered the loss of their eyes and their genital organs one of these two was the aforesaid servant who even while he was still in my service had been led by his avarice to betray me end of chapter 7 recording by martin geeson in hazelmere surrey